Uh, we will be in Isaiah chapter 42, uh, verses 1 through 4. If you have a physical Bible, you're, if you want to turn on your, on your phone uh, there now, that would be uh, good. Uh, the text will be up on your screen as well as in your bulletin. Um, but as we're turning there, I want you to think, I asked, I'm teaching the youth Sunday school class this morning, and I'm asked, I asked them, uh, when you think about Christmas, the idea of Christmas, the season of Christmas, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, youth tend to be a little bit more honest, and you and I, maybe as adults, tend to be. First guy says, presents, of course. Of course we're going to think of presents, right? Well, maybe you think about, as adults, maybe all the presents you have to buy instead, right? We're coming off of Thanksgiving where all the sales are hitting us on every ad possible uh, to buy things. Maybe you think about uh, Christmas lights, decor, festivities, parties that go on during the year. Maybe you think about time with family. You know, a lot of times we'll go places for Christmas or family comes to town. Uh, people we haven't seen for some time. And, you know, this can be good. This can be hard. This can be bad, right? There's a lot of emotions that come with that, right? We know that to be true. Maybe you're missing family. You can't be with them for some reason. And many of us, you've walked with Jesus for a long time, right? So maybe your first thought is actually a baby in a manger, one of my students said that. I'm like, proud, I'm proud of you for saying that. I know it's not true because it's not true for me, but right? maybe some of us, actually, that is true. And I'm making light of it. Probably was true for him. Maybe some of us, this, it is a baby in a manger that comes to our mind. And this Advent season, our desire is to take a look at this baby in a manger to see who he is. And what he came to accomplish. So we're going to be walking through the servant songs in Isaiah uh, for this Advent season. And in these servant songs, we're going to be able to see several hundred years prior to the coming of the baby in the manger. What the prophet says. Who he is and what he will do. So when we think about Christmas, maybe we'll be more inclined to remember that Christmas is really about God breaking in to our world through his son, Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and turn uh, to God's word. This is Isaiah chapter 42, uh, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of God. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not groan faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we come before you now. In the season of Advent, in the season of waiting for the celebration of your son coming to the earth. Father, we pray as we open this text today that our hearts would be moved, would be changed, would be transformed more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. Father, we need you each day. We need you here with us this morning. Spirit, move amongst us that we may hear what you would have us to hear from your word. 
In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So recently I read a story about Augustine. He's an early church father, and it goes like this. Once during the holidays, before his conversion, you need to know that, early church father Augustine robbed a pear tree. He tells of the event with quite extraordinary profundity. He desired to rob the tree, and he, and he did rob it. But he was not impelled neither by hunger or poverty. In fact, he did not even want the pear at all. There were better ones in his own orchard. And even after the theft, he took no joy in what he had stolen. But he said this, but I took joy in the theft and in the sin. So whether you're a Christian or not, we can all agree there's something wrong with ourselves, with our relationships, with this world. Even if we don't want to call it sin, we might call it brokenness and said that there's brokenness in and all around us. We look at our relationships, even our family, we mention that about Christmas time coming. And maybe that's difficult, right? There's brokenness there. We look back on our own lives and maybe like Augustine, we can just see our sin so plainly clear that we desire to rebel we have in our lives. We hurt other people. We put ourselves in front of other people for our own gain. Maybe you read the news. You watch it on your TV, on your phone. You're scrolling through the news app, and you just say, what's going on? There's war. There's corruption. There's starvation. The Bible tells us since the beginning of time, God created things to be good and right and perfect. This is what the narrative of Genesis 1 and 2 tells us. But then when we turn the page of Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us that every square inch of humanity is now stained with sin. There is brokenness in us and all around us. So in this Advent season, when we talk about Jesus coming to the earth, what we celebrate during this holiday it's not just about god becoming a man well that is extraordinary the incarnation is amazing it's not merely about jesus coming to specifically save you in particular from your sins while that is also incredible while both these things are true and important the true purpose of the baby coming in a manger is to eradicate sin and death from God's good creation once and for all. That Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. So that's our big idea for today. Here, there's an outline in your bulletin, and it'll be up on the screen for you as well. But Jesus is born in the manger to bring the kingdom to earth. We're going to look at three different things. First, uh, the servant's purpose. This is verse 1. And the servant's way, verses 2 through 3, and then the servant's faithfulness in verse 4. And we're jumping into not chapter 1 of Isaiah, but chapter 42, right? So we need to understand somewhat before we get to verse 1, what's going on in this book? So we at least need to read around it some. So the end of chapter 41, the author is talking about the idols of the people. And the ESV 
the translation we usually use, actually heads this section right before where we are this morning, the futility of idols. And over and over again in this section in chapter 41, he says, Behold, look, see your idols. They are nothing more than a mere delusion. So he's coming off of this idea that he's confronting this illusion of hope and power to the idols bring. And he says the idols are nothing but wind. They are emptiness. This is the way of the world. It brings delusional claims and false promises of hope. False promises that even you and I give into at times. But Isaiah does not finish in chapter 41. He turns the page here to where we are this morning in chapter 42 and starts with what word? Behold. Remember in 41, he's saying, behold your idols. They are like the wind. They are empty here in verse 1. This is their servant's purpose. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. So it begins in the same way as the end of chapter 41. Behold, but instead of your idols, he's saying, behold, my servant. He's emphasizing here the sharp contrast between these two ideas. One is an idol, emptiness, nothingness. Here in 42, the servant of the Lord who will bring renovation to the entire creation. Now behold my servant in whom your hope must lie. You know, it's interesting, this use of servant, right? In this chapter, specifically in all of the Old Testament, we see Israel actually called God's servant, right? Even in chapter 41 in Isaiah, he says that, right? That Israel is God's servant. Since the beginning of God's people are called out in the line of Abraham, they are called on mission to be a light to the nations as a servant of God, to show God to the world. And as we have seen in First Samuel this semester already, and you have probably read in, in your Old Testament at some point, you know the people of God fail at that mission over and over and over again. They are called to be a servant, a witness, a light. And yet, they fail. So here, in chapter 42, this servant is the one who will fulfill the duties of unfaithful Israel. The author says he will uphold him. He has chosen him. This servant brings delight to the father's soul, and the servant will be faithful. Thing is that this servant will not merely rely on his own strength. The text tells us that he will be empowered by God's Spirit to accomplish the purpose and will of the Father. If you remember back, even a few weeks ago, to 1 Samuel chapter 10, we see this often in the Bible. The Spirit rushing upon a person sent out to do the will of the Father. That's what we see in Saul in 1 Samuel 10. That's God's very hand of strength, the same one that was the hand of strength for Saul, the same hand of strength that is here for the servant is what he is saying. 
So we might think of the idea of servant, and the original audience may have heard it as, oh, this is, like, this is an ideal we need to shoot for, because we're called to be God's servants, right? So we need to be looking to this as instruction. But, in summary, what this, what this first verse is telling us is that the servant is not referring to just an ideal Israel or an ideal Christian, but it is a real person who is God's answer to their weakness and their failure to our weakness, and to our failure. That's what the servant is. What does the text tell us that the servant will do? He finishes in verse 1, he will bring forth justice to the nations. If you're trying to understand a text, one thing you can look for that's very plain and easy to do is look for repetition of the same word over and over again. We have four verses. The word justice is repeated three times. So that tells us that there is something about this word, about this idea that is at the forefront of this text. That justice is the leading idea of verses 1 through 4. And the the word points to the scope of the servant, right? His work. What is he going to do? The text tells us over and over and over again. He is going to bring justice to the nations. We have to look at and understand what this word justice means. We might think about it in a courtroom deciding a legal dispute. In this context, justice is referring to two things. First, the proclamation of truth. This is what is true and is right and is good. It's the proclamation of truth. And the second thing, it is the righting of wrongs. That the servant will proclaim the truth of God and make right what is wrong in creation. He will proclaim the word, the truth of God, and he will right what is wrong in creation. He will be the word of God, the revelation of God, the truth of God incarnate in the flesh. At the same time, he will establish a just order of creation. This is salvation at its broadest sense. Remember I said, the baby doesn't just come. Well, it's not the focus primarily just to save you personally from your sins. Well, that is true and right and good. What he actually does here, he's coming to earth to break in because it is salvation at the broadest sense. It is to eradicate sin and death once and for all. So one theologian says this, justice is the life-giving order which exists when the creation is functioning in accordance with the design of its Lord. That this justice is only going to come through this perfect servant of Isaiah chapter 42, making all wrongs right in creation. He is bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. This is the baby in the manger, church. This is the one that we celebrate. Whether you're a November 1st person or a December 1st person for Christmas music, this is the one, right? This is the one whom all the songs sing about. This is the one. He is coming to bring the kingdom to the earth. This is the purpose of the servant. Let's go on to the servant's way. This is verses 2 and 3. We'll start with just verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard on the street. We have an idea of somebody coming to bring justice to the earth. We might think of a strong king 
a king full of power and might and military behind him, bringing justice by force. Kings of the Old Testament like Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus. But the text tells us that this servant is not like other kings. He's not like a king who establishes justice by force. The servant will bring forth justice in a different way. He will not be self-advertising, but he will be humble, dedicated to his purpose. One theologian says that this text tells us that the servant will have a quiet, unaggressive, and unthreatening ministry to the world. Now, this text of Isaiah 42 is actually quoted and applied to Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. So Jesus enters into the synagogue. He sees a man with a withered hand, and he heals him. This is what the text tells us. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and he was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all. Here it is, verse 16. And ordered them not to make him known. This servant, this baby in a manger, Jesus Christ, that we celebrate during the Christmas season, lives a quiet, unaggressive, unthreatening life, bringing forth the kingdom to the earth. He goes on in verse 3 says this, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So this idea of a, a bruised reed or a faintly burning wick, it's symbolizing someone who is at their bottom, in the pit, someone who is worn out, broken, there have been full books that have been read about, um, written about this one topic here. Richard Sims, I'm going to talk about this in a second, read a, wrote a book entitled The Bruised Read, and it talks about how God cares for us, right? That these people may not be of value to some king bringing justice, bringing transformation, right? Most kings would discard a person like this. Oh, he's worthless. She is worthless, the bruised, the beaten, the lowly, the weak, the discarded. Not so with this servant. He will not destroy the oppressed or the suffering people as most leaders of the time would do. Yet, we see that he shows them compassion. He says, no one is unworthy of help from this servant. He comes to save the least, the last, and the lost. And no one is to be treated harshly or as unimportant. Instead, Jesus shows his tender care for the weak and the oppressed of the world. This is the baby in the manger who is coming to make a huge change in creation. He's tender. He's loving. He's kind. Jesus comes save not the proud but the humble the strong but the weak and often when we are saved 
We think we are strong, but we realize that we are weak. We think that we are big and mighty, but we realize we are humbled by God himself. This servant, Jesus in the manger, comes to make all things new. This means caring with tender for each and every person that approaches him, even if they are at their lowest. In Richard Sibb's book, The Bruce Reed, he talks about how a physician, many of you are physicians in this room, they may put their patients through some pain, right? But it's not without an end. They do so not to destroy the person, but to bring health to them. And oftentimes, we will go through difficulty in life. We'll go into the pit. We will suffer. But God is there. Not to break us. Not to cast us away. But He approaches us. He comes and said, come to me. This is what we see in the baby in the manger in Jesus. That all of us at some point, you may be there today, will be the bruised reed, will be the smoldering wick. I read this book, Alice and I did, the first semester of seminary. I would say that the, the hardest six months of my life probably. Not just because Greek was really hard, but the Lord is really taking us through a lot. And it just like was so difficult. And it was th- these words here at the bottom of my life, feeling co- totally exposed unfit for ministry, to be a husband, a father. I read this. I felt hopeless. I'm sure you have been there also. This text tells us, and the book really helped with that too, I would highly recommend it, that when you are there, God will not break you, but he will draw near. Later in Isaiah, the prophet says that he is sent to bind the brokenhearted. And even Jesus himself in Matthew 5 says, Come to me, all who are poor in spirit. And in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. This servant, Jesus Christ, does not break the people who are in need. But he comes to their aid. This is the way of the servant, Jesus. What mercy and kindness and grace we receive through him in our weakness. He says, come, I am the one who brings you healing. When you feel downcast, maybe this is you today. If it's not you today, it will definitely be you in the next five years. For sure. All of us go through this, right? The servant says, come. Come to me, I will not break you. We have a Savior who calls us to come boldly to the throne of grace. That even when we are feeling bruised, beaten, lowly, weak, Jesus has come. Come to me, the servant of the Lord. This takes us to the last point, which is verse 4, the servant's faithfulness. Verse 4 says this, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. It's not plain in the English, but there's a play on words in verses 3 and 4. The words that are describing a person 
who is bruised and faintly burning are here in this verse here. The root word for bruised is actually the same word for discouraged. And the same word for faintly burning is grown faint. So this servant will be tempted and tried and be in the pit like you may be today. He will go through that. Yet, he will not break apart like a splintering reed or die out like a smoldering wick until he completes his purpose to bring the kingdom to earth. The same servant will be tempted and tried in the same way you and I have been. Yet, he does not fail his purpose. He completes the will of the Father. Difficulties that send you and I to feel like there's nothing left to live for. We're at the bottom of the pit, the lowest place in our lives. He would face these same difficulties. That's why he is our sympathetic Savior. He knows. He understands. When you are bruised, almost burned out, he won't forget us because he has been there. Remember the baby in the manger. We're talking about 100% man, 100% God. That's what our doctrine tells us. 100% man we sometimes don't like to think about. We know he's God, right? At the same time, he takes on flesh. He suffers like we suffer. The text tells us that the Spirit helps him. That he would remain faithful to his purpose, bringing the kingdom to the earth through the Spirit's help. That he partakes in our struggles, and this is why... Theologians call him the suffering servant. While problems in life deter us often, right? Get us off track. We can lose our faith at times. They did not take him off track. No, Jesus, the baby in the manger, he fulfilled his purpose of bringing the kingdom to the earth. He not only fulfilled the law on our behalf, but he took our punishment for our sin, the death that we deserved. In the end of verse 4, it tells us that the the nations would wait in Isaiah's day. They would wait for the servant to come. The truth, the law, the revelation of the kingdom of God to come, that they would wait, they would yearn for it. They were in a season of advent, a season of waiting in hope of the servant to come. You and I, as New Testament Christians, know that he comes, right? We read it in Sunday school this morning. We get it in Luke 1, Matthew 1, that the servant comes, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, takes on flesh. And this is the season that we are in to celebrate the incarnation of Him coming. But also for us, we are a a people in Advent. We are a waiting people. We are waiting the second coming of Christ to see all Things made new by this same son, this same servant. So we wait, but we wait with hope, knowing that Jesus will complete his work of making all things new. He has begun the work of restoring all things and will complete it on his second coming. So in this Advent season, as we begin today, while the presents and the parties and all the good the other stuff that goes on in this season are really great and fun. I'm a party guy, right? Like, I love that. There's a reason we're doing a serve team dinner instead of cards. That's what I like, right? I like all of that. 
It's good. But let us not forget the baby in the manger is whom we are celebrating. This suffering servant who came to make all things new, to bring the kingdom to the earth. Let us pray together. Father, uh, as we think about the incarnation, you taking on, sending your son to take on flesh for us, it is something that may seem normal. We've heard many times, but if we think deeply about it, it is something that goes beyond our understanding. That we do not deserve you to come. We do not deserve your aid to come to our rescue. And yet, your word tells us that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die and raise that we may be freed from the guilt and the shame of sin and the penalty of death. Father, as we come to your table today, we do pray that we would come humbly, acknowledging that we don't deserve to come to this table, but it is only on the merit that you give to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we can come, that we can have hope, waiting in anticipation of the day that will come where your Son, Jesus, makes all things new again. Father, be with us today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.